and will thus be disowned by Him. So let, let me just read this uh, passage here in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave Me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave Me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited Me in. Naked, and you clothed Me. I was sick, and you visited Me. I was in prison, and you came to Me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So, in in these two paragraphs by our Lord, we see the positive aspect of it, that when we help other brothers and sisters in Christ, we're actually helping Christ. We're serving Christ. The the converse of that is found in the next several verses, verses 41 to 46. We're not going to read those, but his point is, if we're not helping, uh, if we're not helping our brothers, and we're not helping Christ, and we're really not a part of His family. So now turn to Second Thessalonians 3. What we learn from our Lord is that believers are marked by those who feed and clothe and care for other believers. That's why in verse 40 of chapter 25 in Matthew it said. If you don't do this to, bro- to, to brothers of mine, he's saying believers, not just anybody. He's not saying, you know, go help some children in Africa or something, which that's not nothing wrong with that. Um, but if that's your primary goal in life and that's all you're doing, then that's a problem, right? The primary responsibility that we have to care for people is our own brothers and sisters in Christ. But Paul comes along in Second Thessalonians 3... And he's saying, yes, we ought to do that, but there's an assumption in that demand that Christ gives, and that is this, that those brothers and sisters in Christ must be obedient brothers and sisters in Christ. That if they are disobedient, if they're turning away from God and the truth of His Word, then we ought not to have any fellowship with Him. We ought not to... Uh, be around them. He, he said he's going to say in this passage, keep away from them. Uh, we need to to make a point with them with our actions by not caring for him in the way that we normally would for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's read this passage and see if you can kind of sense the tension that there is between our Lord's command and now Paul's instruction to us, which come from the same God, by the way. Second Thessalonians chapter three verse six. This is the Word of God. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship 
We kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. We hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Paul's instruction here for the church in Thessalonica is to keep away from those who don't work. Keep away from those who don't work. So, let's begin by looking at these people that we're supposed to keep away from. That is, who are we to watch out for? There are a specific group of people, there are specific individuals that we need to watch out for and avoid. And verse 6 tells us who they are. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. So every brother, it's a believer who's starting to live an unruly life. Look at verse 14. This is a part of the text from next week. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now why would Paul say something like that? He's talking about believers here, isn't he? He's talking about believers who are disobedient or unruly. Is it possible that as believers we can start to become unruly, undisciplined? And the answer from this text is absolutely yes. And there is a certain protocol that our church needs to to follow when that takes place. We need to watch out for, and I would just put all these people, although he's going to talk about a specific sin, we need to watch out for disobedient believers in general. Watch out for disobedient believers. Notice at the end of verse 6 that they actually reject the truth. Who lead an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. Look back up to chapter 2, verse 15. Same idea is stated here. So then, brethren, Stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught. This is not talking about you know some made-up stories or legends passed down for generations. This is talking about the written and verbal authority that comes from God. So the traditions here are talking about what we now have as the Scriptures. If you find someone in the church who is a believer and is starting to walk away from the truth, And you need to watch out for him. He's turned away from the apostolic teaching. What was this tradition that they had received? Well, Paul talks about it in verses 7 to 10. He's going to give us the answer. It's the teaching that he had given them and his example. And we'll talk about that here shortly. But notice, they are disobedient believers, verse 6. They reject the truth at the end of verse 6. Verse 11 calls them undisciplined, right? Verse Verse 11, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. Literally, they walk idly. They walk without a purpose. They kind of just just walk wherever they feel like it at the time. They have no purpose in their 
in their conduct. It says in verses 8 and 12 that they eat someone else's food without paying for it. Look at verse 8. Nor did we eat, Paul says, we didn't eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day. Literally, the idea here is, no, nor did we eat gift bread from anyone. We didn't eat gift bread. Now, Paul's not rejecting every gift. No thanks. I work for a living. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm never taking any gifts. That's not his point. In fact, we know that he has taken gifts. A couple times, The I think it was the Philippians um, that gave him gifts, even while he was in Corinth. But his point is, I and these other men, when he says we here, by, his, by the way, he's referring to Silas and Timothy in chapter 1, verse 1. He's saying, we didn't accept your gifts as the only means of our living. We didn't presume upon your gifts. You know, we've seen you give and, hey, this is kind of nice. Uh, so we're just going to live off of that. No, instead we ate our own bread. And this is what you ought to do. Look at verse 12. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. As instead of receiving gift bread and living off of that, you need to eat your own bread. Make a living for yourself. That's the idea. So that you don't become dependent on other people's gifts. And you know, that's what our responsibility is as Christians. It is to help carry other people's burdens and carry our own. So carry our own burdens, carry our own loads, and help carry other people's. When we can't even carry our own load, when we're presuming upon other people's gifts, it's going to be hard for us to help carry someone else's load, right? Let alone care for our own. Turn back to Galatians chapter 6. Let me just show you this kind of uh, paradox kind of feels like a paradox when you read it uh, in such a close paragraph. In just this one paragraph, we have two seemingly opposing ideas. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Here's Paul's command to the church here at Galatia. He says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. He was just talking about dealing with people's sins. You know, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one bear one another's burdens. So as a church, one of our responsibilities is to help carry, to hold up the load of other people when they're distressed or they're bearing a heavy load. Has anybody ever done that for you? You've been in a really difficult time in life and someone from our church came along and just helped carry that load. Either they prayed for you or they just encouraged you or perhaps they gave something to you. Has that ever happened to you? I know it's happened to me. Look at the look at verse five. So bear one another's burdens. This is one of our responsibilities to help do that for other people. This is how we show ourselves as Christians. But look at verse five. Each will bear his own load. Now, Paul, are you kind of being a little bit contradictory here, schizophrenic in your ideas? What's going on here? You just said bear one another's burdens, and now you're saying carry your own load. And I think his point is that the goal ought to be that we should be able to carry our own load. There will be times when we can't. It's just the nature of life. There's going to be loss of some kind. Maybe a family member, maybe a job, financial difficulty, health, and we're going to need someone else to help carry our load. 
But the goal is to be able to carry our own load and to help carry the load of other people. Turn back to Second Thessalonians. Apparently what these believers were doing is they were doing neither. They weren't helping to carry anybody else's load and they weren't carrying their own load. Instead, they were presuming on other people's gifts. Maybe some people who are wealthier in the, in the congregation were helping them in time of need and they kind of got used to it. Hey, this is great. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to work. And Paul's saying, eat your own bread. Stop presuming upon other people's gifts. So they're described as people who don't eat their own food. They're eating somebody else's food. Verses 10 and 11, they're described as people who don't work. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, he should not eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all. Doing no work at all. Well, why were they not working? Some scholars believe that it's because they thought the day of the Lord was coming. Uh, in chapter 2, remember, some of them thought that the day of the Lord had already come. And so, we just need to prepare for the Lord to come. We're just going to stop working and wait for His coming. I, I don't buy that argument. I don't think the scholars who, who see it that way are correct. Uh, you may see it that way. But, but the reason I don't is because there's no real connection in the text. I think these are actually two separate issues. One, a doctrinal issue, thinking the day of the Lord has come, chapter 2. And one, a moral issue, uh, not willing to work for their, their own food. More likely, it's because some of these people just have started to take pleasure in living off of other people's generosity. And that's what the last phrase starts to point us to. Notice verse 11 at the end. Instead of working... They act like busybodies. So, instead of working, they work around. That's how the text would literally read. Uh, one, one commentator, D. Edmund Hebert, gives several attempt, he makes several attempts at trying to capture I, the idea that comes across very well in the Greek language. But in our language, it doesn't come across as well. And that's why when it's translated, we kind of miss the sense of what I think Paul is trying to say. It says, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. So, Hebert says, it could be doing no work at all, but working around. You know, just kind of meddling in other people's business. Or he says it this way, they mind everyone's business, but their own. They just they ought to be working for themselves. Instead, they're in, involved in everybody else's business. He goes on and says, at nothing working, yet too busily working. Or busybodies who do no business. Or another one, not busy men, but busy bodies. He, he tries to, to kind of capture the wordplay that there is in the English language, and he admits at the end that he just can't quite do it. And I don't usually, uh, I usually don't use Greek words when I'm preaching. Um, I don't think it's very helpful, but I think in this case it actually is because you can kind of get a sense of the wordplay that Paul is using. He's saying not. Ergazamanos, that's another reason I can't pronounce them, but Ergazamanos, which means working, but peri ergazamanos. So, so not working, but meddling. This is what these people are doing. They, they spend all of their activity feverishly doing things, but it's really just idleness. 
it's not accomplishing any productivity. And perhaps you know people like this, hopefully outside of our church and possibly even within our church, who just spend a lot of time in other people's business but never do anything for themselves, never do anything of any uh, that, that, is, that is of value. So that's how they're described. They're described as people who have turned away from the doctrine of faith, the traditions that have been set out for them. They're described as people who are disobedient. They're described as people who don't work at all, who eat other people's bread. So how do we treat these people? How do we treat those who don't work? Verses 6 through 10 give us the answer. Paul gives us a warning to the church in verse 6 to stay away from them. Look at verse 6 again. Now we command you. Paul's not messing around. You know, this is kind of an idea. Let me just give you an idea to help solve this little problem here. No, he says, We command you, notice the next line, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It reads like like a command from a military officer, doesn't it? You know? In the name of the king, or an imperial order, in the name of the king, we command you. Paul's saying, I'm telling you, on the authority of Jesus Christ, here is what you ought to do. Notice the verb there in verse 6, that you what? Keep away. Or as the margin says of my Bible, it says avoid. Literally, to draw back from those who are disobedient or leading an unruly, undisciplined life, meddling. Draw back from them. Excommunion yourself from them. You know, we maybe that word excommunicate has taken on a bad connotation because it's kind of been uh, taken over by the Catholic Church. But actually, I think that's a very biblical idea. Excommunioning, you know, what we did this morning was communing with other believers around the Lord's table. And what, what Paul is saying is excommunion yourselves from them. Stop communing with people who are living disobediently in an undisciplined way. Don't have fellowship around the Lord's table with this person. And beyond that, you need to censure him. You need to avoid him. Notice what Paul does not do. He doesn't say, I excommunicate this person from your church. No, he says, you need to do this. As a congregation, you have a responsibility to look out for these disobedient believers and then move to action. Which in this case is disfellowshipping yourself from them. Notice how he describes him again. The person who is unruly. Every brother who leads an unruly life. Every brother. Even genuine believers can become idle. Even genuine believers can stop working. This is a warning that Paul had given in 1 Thessalonians 5. He said, warn those who are idle. So apparently he saw this problem in Thessalonica before and he said, warn those who are idle, who are not working. Now, he says, there are some who are idle and now you need to remove yourselves from them. Apparently this is a new and and, uh, intensified problem. They stopped working, and now they've begun to meddle in other people's business. Now, you might be looking at the logic of Paul's argument like this. 
Those who spend their time not working and being a busybody are the ones that Paul is calling disobedient. But if they're not working, it's okay. But notice verse 10. Because I want you to see that it's not just the busybody problem. It's not the meddling that's just the problem. Verse 10, Even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone is not willing to work. Now, if it were work and meddling, he would say, if anyone is not willing to work and they are also meddling in other people's business, then they ought not to eat. But instead, he says this, if he's not willing to work, he cannot eat. The point is, is to not work is sinful. To not work is sinful. This is com- this command that Paul is giving against this problem is consistent with his example in verses seven through nine. He says, "For you yourselves know, you know how you ought to follow our example. You, you know how you ought to imitate us." You've seen a model of me carrying my own load, working night and day, right? In order not to be a burden to any one of you. Do you see that at the the end of verse 8? Working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. This is our goal, folks. Our goal is to carry our own load so that we can actually help other people when their load needs to be carried. But if we can't carry our own load, and again, there will be times when we can't. God God is gracious to us and He provides people to help us. But if we can't, on a regular basis, carry our own load, it's going to be hard for us to, to carry anybody else's. So our goal should be like Paul's. I'm going to work my tail off so that I can carry my own load, so that I won't be a burden to other people. We want to work so hard that we reduce the burden of other people. Now, in verse 9, Paul says, not because I don't have a right to this. That is, I didn't have to reject your gifts to me. I didn't have to reject the earnings that I could have taken. He he will say in other places that that a a worker is worthy of his wages, right? And and, um, do not muzzle the ox as he's treading the grain, right? Let him eat of some of the work that he's producing. And he uses that to say that you, you know, that, that churches ought to pay their pastors. So Paul's not saying, you know, no pastor should ever take any, they should reduce the burden of the church. He just said, for me, I didn't want you to think in any way that I was doing this for the money. And so I worked night and day so that I wouldn't be a burden to you. I wanted to offer you as an, an example of how you ought to work so hard so that you don't become a burden to someone else. So this was consistent with Paul's example, verses 7-9, through and it was consistent with his teaching in verse 10. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if a man does not work, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. This is a command. This is an imperative, not a suggestion. If a person refuses to work, here's the command, he must not allowed, be allowed to eat. If a person refuses to work, he must not be allowed to eat. That's the command. 
If we continue to give to someone who's not using their energy and talent that God has given them in order to provide for themselves and their families, then we actually encourage their laziness. And Paul's saying, if they're not going to work, if they refuse to use the resources that they have to provide for themselves, then they should not eat. So, he says something very harsh that seems to be in tension with what Jesus said. That kind of person, you need to let them go hungry. Let them go hungry because he's actually living disobediently to the way that God wants him to live. Why is work so important? Why is it so? Why is Paul so insistent on the fact that we must work, all of us? Well, I hope you understand that work is not a bad thing. God made us to work. Work only became a four-letter word after the fall. I say that tongue-in-cheek. Okay, the people just despise work. We kind of stand around the water cool and just you know, can't wait till the weekend. Can't wait till vacation. And those things are fine to look forward to, but a lot of times we just despise work. And that's not something that God designed for us to think. The reason that we know work is a good thing is because God is a working God, right? In six days He labored to, to create the world. On the seventh day, he rested, but really, he was still working on that day too, wasn't he? Same thing for the priests. They're working all week, and on the Sabbath day, they're still working. So, God is a working God. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. And before the fall, before sin came into the world, God commissioned Adam to work. And that was a good thing. He had him name all the animals. Work is a good thing. Jesus worked. Jesus said, I and my Father are working. Paul worked night and day. The Bible commands us to work. And one of the things that we will be doing for all of eternity is not sitting on clouds playing harps, but it is to work. We will be spending our time in actual service to Christ. Based on my understanding of the Scriptures, there are three primary things that we will be doing for all of eternity. Working, resting, and praising God. We'll be spending our time in song and in, in, in praise to God for what He has done for us. We will be spending our time working, actually producing some good in eternity. We're not going to be sitting around with grapes being fed to us. And we'll also be resting. It'll be a time of rest. Uh, not all the time, but there will be times of rest, apparently, from all the labor that we've had on this earth and all the struggle. But work will be a, a very important part of our eternity. So work is a good thing. And we, as humans, need to, fallen human beings, need to guard ourselves against the temptation of laziness. Proverbs says, Hard work leads to advantage, but mere talk leads to poverty. Folks, laziness will always lead to poverty. 
Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I'm kind of poor right now. Maybe is that because I'm lazy? Well, the way that I would look at it is that the lake of poverty is fed by a lot of different streams, a lot of different rivers. One of those rivers is laziness. Laziness always ends up in the lake of poverty. But you can also get to the lake of poverty other ways. There can be some bad circumstances that take place. You know, some, some uh, terrible circumstance that comes into life and wipes out all of your finances. There's lots of different ways to get to the lake of poverty. But one of the clear ways that Proverbs says is through the river of laziness. We have to guard ourselves against laziness. Christians work. We need to work in order to be productive. Titus 3.14 directs believers to be diligently working so as not to lead unproductive lives. God has given us great privileges, hasn't He? He's called us His servants. And we happen to live in a great industrious nation. And with those great privileges that we enjoy comes great what? Responsibility. And so we would be unfaithful not to work. God has designed for us to work and to provide for our own needs and have abundance to share with others. Now I understand and you understand that in a fallen world there will be circumstances where a person is unable to provide for himself in some cases. And in that case, the family and the church ought to be generous enough to help them provide. But if everybody or multiple people within the church are doing this, Presuming upon the generosity of the church, it's actually not productive for the sake of Christ. So Paul gives a warning to the church. Avoid these people. Excommunion yourselves from them. Disfellowship. Now in verse 12, he gives a warning directly to them. Now such persons, verse 12, we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sounds a lot like verse 6. Kind of this idea of, in the name of the King, we command you. So here it is. What does He command them? To work in quiet fashion and eat your own bread. Stop meddling with other people's business and work hard at your own business. Christians have a responsibility to work. And then there's a final exhortation to the church. Verse 13, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. You can imagine that some of the people who were being generous were starting to get taken advantage of. And as a result, they're starting to to fall into despair. Like, all this work that I'm doing is just providing for someone who's just lazy. The temptation for those who work hard and then are being taken advantage of is, you know what, I'm just going to stop working that hard. I'm just going to work to take care of my own needs and they can figure out another way. And what Paul is saying is that would be the wrong response. Don't stop being generous. That's not the point. Instead, notice what he says in verse 13, do not grow tired or weary of doing what is noble and good and right. Don't allow people who have abused the system to, to put a, a wet blanket over your generosity. Don't allow them to do that. Don't allow them to make you uncharitable. So, what is our responsibility? 
as a church, we must separate from habitually disobedient believers. The specific one mentioned here are people who don't work, but I think we can include just generally anyone who's continuing on in unrepentant sin. We'll look at this more closely as far as our responsibility as a church to separate from these kinds of people because verses 14 and 15 talk about it a little bit more specifically. But we want to give our attention to the main point of the text, and that is that we must work diligently to take care of our own needs so that we can have enough to supply for others when they come to a place of need. Several years ago, there was a guy who worked at the warehouse for the company that I worked for, and his job was to empty trash. And one, one day he said to his coworker. You know, I, I wish I could figure out a way that I could just play video games all day and get paid for it. You know, wouldn't that be great? And the very next day, coincidentally, he was alone, emptying trash, no witnesses around, and he injured his back. Now, he very well could have injured his back, but the circumstances seemed to point to the fact that he was just looking for a way out of work. Consequently, a, a few weeks later, he was able to settle out of court for um, a bit of money. And in a sense, he got what he wished for, right? He was able to work, or he was able to play video games and, and have some money to provide for his needs. Some people would do anything to be able to do nothing but not Christians. Our goal in life is not to get to a place where we're doing nothing. Our goal for our retirement ought not to be that we get to a place where we do nothing. Please don't hear me say that you need to have a business card with your name on it and your title so that you actually have to have an actual job where you receive a paycheck in order for you to be a diligent worker. That's not what the Scriptures teach. Those of you who are mothers, Paul calls on you to be workers at home. Titus 2, right? The, the phrase there, workers at home, is can literally be translated house despots or house managers. You need to manage your house well. And that is a form of work. And I would suggest to you ladies to do that with all that you have. You have some of the hardest work in the world. Because your job never ends. You get no increase in salary for doing a good job. And you have to be very much self-disciplined, don't you? Because there are lots of periods of time where you are unsupervised, right? You, can, you don't have someone looking over your shoulder. You don't have a time clock to fill out unless you have a husband who makes you fill out a time card. I'm not sure. But... But you have a responsibility to be a worker at home. To be a house manager. And I think God would exalt that kind of work. Perhaps for some others, you know, you say, well, I don't have a job where I get a paycheck either. And maybe it's because of some physical problem that's keeping you from doing all that you would like to do. But I think our society has pushed us too quickly to not work just because we're such a wealthy society. 
and we can provide for people who who have some of these ailments. But do you realize that some of the most some of the greatest accomplishments that were done in human history were done by people who didn't feel like it? Who could have had a list of excuses because of all their physical ailments? Can you think of anyone? Two names come into my mind immediately. One is Jesus, and one is Paul. If anyone had an excuse to stop working, it was one of them. So I'm telling you to guard yourself very carefully against the temptation of laziness because Christians do not live that way. Now, some of you are on the other extreme. You're tempted to work too much. And in that case, I would suggest to you that you need to guard against making your job an idol. Turning it into some sort of idolatry as if it's all that you're pursuing, pursuing really it tends to be because of the money or the fame or the position that comes along with it. Our goal as Christians is to be faithful at our jobs, wherever it is, outside of the home or inside the home, whatever God has called us to do inside the church, and to mind our own business and to work hard so that, remember verse 8, what was Paul's goal? Work hard so that what? What is verse 8? Look at verse 8 with me. So that we would not be a burden to any of you. Here's our goal. Work hard enough to care for your own needs so that you won't be a burden to other people. That you can bear one another's burdens and, Galatians 6.5, carry your own load. Now, there's much more we could say about separation and how we need to remove ourselves from various people, but I'm just going to... We'll spend a lot of time talking about that next time. So let me just leave you with one thought as we conclude. It may seem compassionate to keep giving to someone who is continuing to be lazy, but the most loving thing that we can do to that person is to point them to the truth. And the truth is, if a person refuses to work, he must not be allowed to eat. So we have to guard very carefully to whom we give. We don't just stand at the back door and say, whoever has a need, here you go. We need to evaluate the situation carefully with mercy and grace and ask for God's help as we try to to carry the loads of other people. But Paul has some pretty strong words for those who are not willing to work. And we should all take them to heart. Let's pray. Father, our prayer for ourselves is to ask You to guard us from laziness. Lord, I know I have the temptation often to just get to a place where I don't have to work. But I know that You have called me and You have called each of these Christians here tonight to work and to use their resources, their abilities, privileges that You have given to be productive, not to meddle in other people's business, but to handle their own. I pray that You'd help me to do that. I pray that You'd help us to be wise as we think about those who are lazy. Help us to know when to, or how to spot them and how to handle those situations. We certainly don't like those types of confrontations. We don't like to be what seems to be unloving, but we know that that really is the most loving thing that we can do. 
Help us to think about that even as we reflect on the text from next week. And we pray that through us, You would be honored. You would be glorified. We want to be seen by the world and by each other as people who are productive and who love to use our energy to accomplish what You set us to do. Give us grace in Jesus' name. Amen.